oh my God, the media is going to die. And of course, it's all about me. So what does this mean for me as a public relations person? You know, what it really means is if the media is going to die, well, then what am I going to do? You are now tuned in to Meesey Muse Unplugged, a podcast for go-getters on their journey to greatness. Unlock the secrets to your success through insights, inspiration, and education. Get ready to level up with your host, author and consultant, Christy Lindor. Hey, my go-getters. Today, we're going to talk about how to define success. So what's on the agenda? I want to share with you how I discovered my definition of success. want to talk a little bit about what you can do to define or maybe sometimes redefine what success means for you towards your journey to greatness. I'm also joined by the awesome Bobby Carlton. She's the founder of Innovation Women and Innovation Nights, and she's going to share her journey and as well as her definition. So before we kind of kick off our conversation with Bobby, I actually recently read an article from Success Magazine. It's called How to Define Success on Your Own Terms. And I'm going to put the the link to this article in the show notes for you. But what I really liked about the article, and it had actually got me thinking, it really broke down different ways to unpack how you're defining success in various areas of your life. And the article talks a little bit about what does success look like for you for intimate relationships, for parenting, for professional achievements, material possessions, as well as happiness. And I thought the article did a really nice job of introducing the concept. And while it talked on, you know, touched on like certain elements of success, There are actually other ways, you know, you can define success, whether that's also, you know, how are you defining success in your family life? Maybe how you can be successful in your religious or your spiritual path if you're on one, or even what does success look like for you specifically from a mind, body, and and kind of the physiological health perspective. And it made me realize how deep of a topic just creating the definition of success could be because it really is one where it creates a blueprint and it creates the foundation and the stories and beliefs that we all operate from. So I found it really interesting. And what's also fascinating when you think about the definition of success is that most of us, and I'll say most, not everybody, but most of us, we are really kind of preconditioned on how we are defining success in all areas of our lives based on our own experiences, based on the lens of our childhood, you know, going into adulthood and some of the experiences that we've shared. So I think that's very interesting that, you know, I think if you're a go-getter on a journey to greatness, part of what you should be doing is really taking a look at does your definition of success align with the path that you are currently on or want to be on and how if it's not 
How can you redefine that? And what are some ways that you can kind of bring that to life um, to really help you to feel good? Because I think part of having a definition of success is also feeling good about kind of where you are on your journey and being comfortable in the present, not just focused on what you did in the past or what's the future hold, but really being present in your journey. I think it's really, really critical. So as I mentioned, I want to first, you know, share kind of my definitions of success and how I've actually redefined it and some of the lessons I've gleaned from those experiences. And I'm actually going to focus. So, and I feel like just given all the different elements of success, we're going to specifically focus on the kind of the professional achievements space of the definition of success. I feel like maybe in the future, I may cover other areas. I may do that through other podcasts. Um, Let me know what you think. Would love to hear your thoughts. MeSeeMuseUnplugged at gmail.com. But as I mentioned, for me, I'm going to talk about kind of three different kind of phases of, of my life and how I kind of looked at success. I think earlier on, being that I was, you know, a first generation American growing up in the city of Boston, you know, first college grad of my family, I felt like when I kind of look back, I felt like my early definition of success was more materially focused. It was more on the material possessions. And so for me, success meant that, you know, not only being able to get a college degree, but to, you know, buy my own home, to buy my dream car at the time, for me to be able to pick up and go and travel and be able to have like really, really nice things. Like, so, and again, that kind of came from my environment, what influenced. And I remember growing up, I went to school in an area that was actually, it's on Newberry Street, which if you're familiar with Boston, is one of the most expensive streets (laughs) in the Boston area. And growing up in high school and seeing kind of, me me being starkly different from the people that was around me, I equated success to those people. I said, you know, I know I'm successful when I can be on Newberry Street and I can drive a really nice car and have a really fancy, you know, kind of shopping spree and, and doing really cool stuff. Again, all materially focused. And I realized that being in that environment day in, day out, and then coming back home to a more humbled environment, I realized what I didn't have. It was a very, very stark difference. But I also realized that, that you know, being in my environment, if I worked really hard, I can actually obtain those things. And so that's actually what I did. I had a very, you know, I call it a very black and white view of, of success. So for me, it was I work hard, you know, I make the money and with the money, I can buy success. And so it was all about money. It was all about materialistic things. Fast forward, you know, kind of graduating from college, going into the corporate environment. Again, I'm first generation college grad, first generation corporate professional of my family. So I wasn't really prepared of what that specifically looked like. And my worldview on the definition of success at that time in my life really became heavily influenced by my new environments. So I found myself in spaces, you know, meeting a lot of different people that came from a lot of different backgrounds and trying on, I really felt like at the time I was really trying on 
different versions of what success meant. And when I say that, so for example, I, I think about some of my friends and, you know, they grew up with a lot. You know, they grew up, they came from, you know, what I consider privileged backgrounds, you know, upper class backgrounds. And for them, success was more about experiences, not so much as material, because for them, you know, they grew up with material possessions. And so that was like table stakes. And so for them, it was all about the thrill. I, and maybe it was just my personal experience, but I ended up working with a lot of people that enjoyed things like hiking or enjoyed things like um, being able to do bungee jumping or, you know, traveling to different countries in a short amount of time, being able to just, you know, just, just really have enriching uh, life experiences. And so I found myself kind of weaning off more so the material kind of view of success to more of, okay, you know, I need to have all these like amazing exotic experiences. And, you know, that was cool for some time. I did a lot of really cool stuff, you know, with that lens and that definition of success. And then I find myself over time really coming back to a place where I felt really grateful for all of the opportunities that I had, you know, realizing how far I came. I think one day I just realized, it just hit me like, wow, like, you know, I, I just came really far and was able to really fulfill a lot of different things throughout my career. And I felt myself, it kind of happened organically. I can't, I can't tell you what day it happened or what moment per se, but I found myself going and transitioning to a place of wanting to give back more. Um, and I think it was just from my humble beginnings, I said, wow, like I've been able to travel all over the world. I have, you know, been a consultant working in all these different amazing client environments, being in spaces where I'm usually the only woman or the only person of color, uh, you know, really having these, these unique world opportunities and experiences, I think it's time for me to give back. You know, I really wanna focus on how can I really share what I've learned and really help others along their journey. And I think that's when I took on more of a mentor role with different junior consultants. I found myself doing a lot more volunteer work and then really deciding that even in my corporate role, I decided that I really wanted to pivot and do more in terms of ensuring that there was a give back element that all the things that I've learned that I'm able to give it back in some way. And I think that's when I transitioned and instead of doing more strategy, just kind of really pure business strategy work, I focus more on helping on the people side, helping leaders and clients think about how they can optimize their workforce and really bring people along on their journey in, you know, whatever initiatives that they're doing. So all that to say, I found that success for me became more purpose driven. So everything I do now is not just about, it's not about the material side of, of the house, although I still like nice things, right? I'm not gonna, not gonna say that I don't, still do. I find that yes, even though I still value life experiences and being able to, to you know, be present and, and having different life experiences as I, I did before, I find that now it's about the purpose and making sure that everything I do has some sort of give back element to it. And I've operated and I've kind of transitioned so that my entire personal life, my professional life, all of that kind of is all integrated into that same ultimate mission. And it took a while to get there, but I'm really, really excited that I did. One way go-getters, and, and I'm going to leave you with this, but 
One way that I've been able to really define success, I go by Earl Nightingale's definition of success. So Earl Nightingale says, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. So again, he says, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. And what I love about that definition is that if it gives me permission to allow my journey of success to unfold and not always feel like I, I need to be in a rush, which I felt like back in the day, I felt like, you know, by the time I was 30, I needed to do this. By the time I was like, you know, 35, I needed to, you know, I, I was in such a rush to be successful, right? Or to feel successful. And now I actually see success as the progressive realization of a worthy ideal, which means that for me, as long as I'm always working towards my goals of creating the change that I wish to see in the world and making incremental progress towards those goals, then I'm successful. That's it. No other, there's no other reason. There's no other, you know, kind of explanation. I'm a success if I'm always working towards that day in and day out. And for me, that's a much better place to operate from and a much better blueprint because it's more malleable for me to be able to, to operate on a daily basis. And it actually makes me feel more fulfilled. So how does one, you know, really, how do you really define your definition of success? I'm going to give you five steps. One, if you're kind of hearing this podcast and thinking about like, you know, what does success for you mean for you and how can you maybe redefine it? I think the number one thing is that we become what we think about. That's like first and foremost. And I think for that, I really believe in the power of writing things down. I believe in vision boards. So um, go-getters out there, if you're into vision vision boards, visualization, writing, writing things down, really being constantly reminded, you know, of what you're working on every single day and having that up front and center in terms of what you wake up thinking about, what you wake, you go, you go to sleep thinking about. I think really that to me is one of the ways that's guaranteed because it, it helps ensure your definition of success is top of mind and you're constantly working towards it. So that's one thing first and foremost. Make sure when you come up with, with your definition, you create ways to constantly be reminded of them on a daily basis. Another thing, so two, I would say, is you might start out with a definition of success just from programming, right? Pre-programming from your personal childhood, you know, your life experiences, you're programmed based on outside factors, societal norms, that sort of thing. But I think as go-getters, as you gain life experiences, they actually might challenge those original definitions of success. So don't be afraid to redefine your definition as you grow and learn. Like, don't be afraid of that. I think that sometimes we kind of get stuck and where we get stuck is that our definition of success, when we look at our lives, it doesn't look like that. You know, we may have one expectation of what it looks like and then we're disappointed when we take a pulse check in our lives and we feel like we're nowhere near our definition and we're not working towards it, right? We Every day we don't have anything that we're working towards. So I think it's important for you to really think about what does it mean for you in all areas of your life, not just professionally. I, you know, I mentioned a couple of others earlier, but make sure that if, if your definitions, they're no longer positively serving you, 
feel free to reset it. You do not have to stay connected to the same story and same beliefs that someone may have pre-programmed in you or you may have pre-programmed in yourself based on your life experiences, especially if they're no longer serving you in a positive manner. So make sure you kind of really look at that and, and take that into consideration and really internalize your refined definition of success. That leads me to my third step, shed your need for conformity. This is huge. I feel like another place where people get stuck, it's not just in the definition, but I think it's also in what, you know, I call it the infamous, what are they going to think? What are people going to say if I do this? What is my mom going to say? What is my friends going to say? How about if, you know, I'm afraid of what people will think? That all, all those fears and insecurities and anxieties really come from the need to conform. And I know that society as a whole is built on conformity, is built on normative behavior. In order really to create a journey of greatness, you have to step outside. You have to take risks. And that means sometimes you have to shed. You have to shed and, and shed your need for conformity in order to break out and create something new, do something different, be something more innovative to, again, your definition of success. Really, really important. Step four, take action. So again, you're going to constantly hear go-getters. We're going to talk about taking action and you're going to hear a lot of my guests talk about that as well. You know, nothing happens without action. So make sure as you, once you've defined your success, you're taking steps every single day, even if it's a small little micro step, but you're taking steps towards your goals and you're taking steps towards one step closer to your vision of success. So remember um, what we said earlier, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. And last step five, time and time again, I say try try and try again differently. So even as you're taking action, not everything works. I'll tell you that right now. For every one accomplishment that people may hear that I've had publicly, I've probably had 10 failures behind that privately. You know, not every everything that I've done has worked as, as people may think, right? I think the difference is I take action, but also if I try and it doesn't work, I try again. And if that doesn't work, then I try again. And guess what? If that doesn't work, I try again. And I keep trying and trying. And guess what? Something will eventually break through. So if you find yourself go-getter, you are stuck. You're trying to make progress towards your goals, trying to you know do different things. And you just feel like, man, I keep hitting a brick wall. Why does that keep happening? Take a step back. Take a step back. Look, is it, you know, is, is it your definition of success of what a success look like for you in that particular goal? Is it that, you know, you're being held back in some way? Maybe your actions are influenced by others. Talking about that, you know, shedding the need for conformity. Or maybe you need to take a different set of actions, right? Whatever it is, try something different. And I guarantee it may take several times, but if you keep trying, you will eventually break. Having said all of that, I definitely want to play a recent interview that I had with Bobby Carlton, founder of Innovation Women and Innovation Nights. Plus, I want to share a little bit more about her background, but we're going to take a quick break. Several years ago, I was passed over for a promotion at my job. Instead of wallowing in my circumstances, that evening I decided to redirect my energy using a forgiveness technique I had casually created over the years. What happened over the next 15 months was an absolute life-changing breakthrough. 
So I decided to put it to the test. I shared the technique with a couple of friends and they too began to see major shifts at work. That's when I decided to formalize my forgiveness model into a book. Hi, I'm Christy Lindor. I've discovered that forgiveness used as an applied strategic skill in the workplace can shift your career to the next level. You can explore this concept in my new book, Release, Use the Power of Forgiveness to Get Unstuck and Thrive in Your Career. Order it now on Amazon or learn more at www.releasethebook.com. Okay, we're back, go-getters. Before I talk about Bobby, let's recap lessons I shared in the earlier segment. How does one become their definition of success? That was kind of what we talked about earlier. So again, I'm gonna quickly go through the five steps for you to define or redefine your definition. One, we become what we think about, so constantly have your goals in mind. Two, shed the need for conformity. Three, you might have an initial vision, but feel free to evolve your definition of success as you gain life experiences. You don't have to stay connected to the same story. Step four, take action. And step five, try, try, and try again differently. So with that, I want to introduce my first guest of the season, Bobby Carlton. Bobby is the founder of Carlton PR and Marketing, Innovation Nights, and Innovation Women, and actually has been called Boston's innovation den mother and the startup fairy godmother. I think she's a rock star. She's awesome. She's an award-winning marketing PR and social media professional. She speaks regularly on a variety of topics such as marketing, public speaking, and women issues. And she is considered she considers herself a parallel entrepreneur instead of a serial entrepreneur. And she has spent the last 10 years building her own businesses as well as supporting client and community efforts. Prior to starting her business, Innovation Nights, Innovation Women, and Carlton PR, she actually headed up global PR at Cognos and PTC, and she decided to switch gears and really join the startup community and really focused on helping create more self, you know, positive self-esteem and, and positive role modeling for preteen girls through a social network and a book series. So she's done a lot of different things along her journey to greatness. In 2010, she was actually called one of the 10 Bostonians who have done the most for the startup community. And she's received a tons and tons of different awards, such as the Boston Business Journal Women to Watch, Boston's 50 on Fire. I mean, I've got a whole laundry list of different awards that Bobby has won. So as you can see, Bobby is a true go-getter in every sense of the word. I actually got a chance. I got to know Bobby. I am actually a member of her Innovation Women, which is actually one of online's most successful women's speaker bureaus. So you can check it out. And again, go-getters, I'll put all the links out in the show notes for you. But with that, here's Bobby Colton and her journey to greatness. Welcome to the Missy Muse Unplugged, Bobby. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good, good. So Bobby, is that a nickname or is that like your real name? (laughs) That is indeed a nickname. Oh, okay. I love when women have kind of names that are historically more masculine. There's something like that's super cool about that. And I usually find that when women have like a name that's more societally masculine, they're always super cool individuals. So <laughs> how did so you So my get- given name is Roberta, but growing up, everybody called me Bobby. Oh, how fun. How fun. I was just about to ask you that. 
Cool. Well, welcome to the show. I am so excited to, first of all, to speak to you. I've been a part of your innovation women agency for several years. And I think we recently met in person, I, I want to say in the last six or seven months through different events. So I admire you from afar. <laughs> so I'm so excited that I had a chance to connect with you and you being my opening podcast interview for this season. So, okay, now I'm blushing. Good thing this is audio only. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess let's go ahead and get started. Are you ready? I am ready. Hit it. Okay. All right. So my first question to you, I would love for you, before you became kind of Bobby Carlton, the amazing entrepreneur, speaker, walk us through your top three kind of pivotal moments in your journey that has really shaped you. So I think early on in my career, I was very focused on public relations. I worked in a number of different agencies. I worked inside companies. And I think kind of one of the pivotal moments for me was a very small moment. I was standing at a fax machine, dating myself hugely there, faxing in my driver's license to get a domain name for a company that I was working for. And I had this epiphany at that moment, which was, oh my God, the media is going to die. And of course, it's all about me. So what does this mean for me as a public relations person? You know, what it really means is if the media is going to die, well, then what am I going to do? So at that moment, and by the way, that was 1994, I was having a little panic attack about being a PR person and decided that I needed to broaden my scope and think about this whole thing called digital marketing. And of course, this is way before social media marketing became a thing. That was in kind of the 2000s range when I was looking at things like Facebook from afar because I wasn't a student and I couldn't access Facebook at the time. But there was also LinkedIn and then Twitter came on the scene and I was like, oh, this social media thing is going to be huge. Of course, at the time, everybody was talking about social media as a toy, something the kids did. But I looked at it and said, that is the way that we are going to talk to each other. And as a marketing person, we're going to be going direct to our audiences, not through some gatekeeper. Then it was in 2008 when the market kind of fell off a cliff and everything changed. There were no jobs. All of a sudden, I had to become an entrepreneur. So I think those are kind of like the three touch points in the, let's call it 30 plus years of career. And those are the things that kind of changed where I was heading. I love how you talked about the foresight that you had having a PR background and a media background and seeing early on in the 90s that digital marketing was on the horizon. What is it about that time that you saw coming that maybe others didn't pick up as signals? I think one of the things that I see is when the, it's exactly what you were saying. When people mock an idea, often that means they're frightened by it. And if it has the ability to instill fear, that is a point where you want to sit up and take notice. People talk to me about innovation women. And I started Innovation Women four years ago. And I had the idea about, it's almost five years ago now. And people are like, oh my gosh, you're so prescient. 
if you think about what's happened with women and the Me Too movement and women are having a moment, you were five years ahead of that, four years ahead of that, three years ahead of that. And I'm like, yeah, that was mostly happy accident and mostly me getting annoyed at something enough to call a halt and say, I've got to change something. I've got to make an impact. And for me, I chose public speaking as a route to making a change in the world, as I saw it, the world with a problem. So again, if you look at problems and situations that are disruptive, it's the fear, it's the things that make people angry that make things change. Absolutely. I so love that. And I'm going to get to Innovation Women because I so want to hear the founding story of that. But I want to touch on something you just mentioned, which is really critical, especially for go-getters out there. Earlier, you mentioned you were at that fax machine and really thinking about the relevancy of your career at that time, seeing all the changes. If we apply that today, and if someone's listening to this podcast and they may be going through something similar, I think right now the fear du jour is robots, right? And AI. So it's <laughs> my career path today. Is it going to be relevant in 20 years? And if not, what should I do? If someone is listening to this, you know, what would be some advice that you would give them around remaining relevant and being able to kind of nab on the intuition caught on to? Yeah. And I think public relations my basic skill set actually hasn't changed that much. I'm a good communicator. I can capture ideas. I'm a great writer. And that skill set is never going to let me down. As a PR person, communication, research, writing, those are all top skills. And by the way, the media didn't die. It's still there. And the strong media is the media that said, oh, yes, we're all in on digital. So there are definitely changes and, oh, my God, save me a journalist. Those great writers are still out there. And yet there are fewer and fewer of them who are being supported by daily newspapers and by the classic media that was so powerful in the 60s, 70s and 80s. But you get into the 90s and the aughts, and there are fewer and fewer journalists who are being supported by major publications. But at the same time, there's so many more publications and influencers on social media. So I think if you take a step back from your career and you say, what is it about me and my skill set that makes me powerful today? And what is it that is transferable? The people who are frightened of robots and frightened of artificial intelligence, I think are those who don't truly understand what goes into those things. I think there's a lot of focus on, for example, manufacturing jobs are going to go away. Well, maybe, but robots have existed inside manufacturing facilities for decades. Right. And there's tons of automation that happens on an assembly line. But at the same time, it's a much smaller number of people who are impacted by the addition of robotic arms in manufacturing than the self-checkout line, for example. You know, if you go into any supermarket and you look around, half of the cashiers have been replaced by a self-checkout line. That's a form of automation. And guess what? Many more cashiers are women 
So while there is a huge focus on the impact on the manufacturing industry from robots, I think there's a far bigger impact on women and their jobs and cashiers at the retail level from automation. So I think we focus on things that might not be the truly big issue. So true. So much noise in the system, Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree. So let's fast forward. Let's go to, let's say 2008, 2009-ish when you talked about becoming an entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about Colton PR and Innovation Nights. It looks like you started both of those around the same time or within like a year of each other. Yeah. So 2008, November, all of a sudden the startup that I was working with ran out of money and I'm off on my own. My husband had stayed home with the kids. So we were a single income household and there were no jobs. There were absolutely no jobs. So I was real quick looking around and saying, what am I going to do here? And reaching back into my network and picking up consulting work where I could, but also looking at how are we going to go forward. So the consulting that I did was public relations work, but it was community building, it was digital marketing, and I was picking up jobs everywhere I could. And immediately slap a shingle on the front door going, Carlton PR Marketing lives right here and looking around to figure out how I could turn it into a living. And Innovation Nights came, I'd say about six months after Carlton PR Marketing. And I was looking for some very specific things. I was looking for a way to establish myself in social media. I was looking for a way to support the local community. And there were a couple of different branches from that. One of the branches was the entrepreneurs that I was working with and hanging out with in my suddenly abundant spare time. But there were also, I was on the board of the Charles River Museum of Industry and Innovation in Waltham. And during the startup years, I'd been a singularly bad board member. I needed to be able to support something that they needed foot traffic. They needed a new audience. They used to do these things called innovation days and they would drag out typewriters, printing presses and say, look, innovation of yesteryear. And meanwhile, I'm looking at it going, we had one iPhone app in that innovation pile over there. It'd be a whole new audience. So let's think about how we can drive new audience into the museum. The museum was super hard to find. It was set back off the street. To get to the museum, you would have to drive behind the movie theater in Waltham, park in the parking lot, walk across a footbridge, go down a cobblestone path to underneath the smokestack where there was the entrance to the museum. This is not a place that's easy to find. So how could we draw people there? And that became the birth of Innovation Nights. Mm. I reached out to the startup community, I reached out to the museum community, and I reached out to the social media community. And I brought those three communities together to help do something that would aid everyone. It was putting people in place to use their social networks to promote the startup products. It was connecting different people who were looking for jobs. I would estimate of the people that came to that first mass innovation night, probably half to three quarters were actively looking for jobs. And when you're launching a new product, that's the point in time for your company 
Even fledgling companies, when you need everything, you need legal help, you need marketing help, you need a CPA, you need the stuff that is around a company. So that night, that first mass innovation night in April of 2009, really became about how can we help everybody in the room and bringing them into the museum, the Charles River Museum of Industry and Innovation in Waltham enabled the museum to have a new audience as well. So everybody wins. You're listening to the Misi Muse Unplugged podcast. We'll be right back after the break. What if you can finally launch your own consulting business that gives you the confidence to go after any targeted client and build a profitable business, regardless of your educational background or knowledge? What if you can finally learn how to package your expertise you spent years building into a profitable offering and then wake up every day making a difference with clients that truly value what you can bring to the table as a credible business consultant? Here's the secret, you can. Introducing the Purpose Driven Consultant School. It's an online training and mentoring program designed to help ambitious women and diverse professionals become world-class consultants doing work they love with people they like. Courses are taught by me, Christy Lindor. I come with over 18 plus years of experience working for some of the world's most prestigious management consulting firms. Check us out. We're now enrolling. We have a couple courses coming up on really how to start your business. We kick off our program with a six-week boot camp called Consulting Like a Boss. You can learn more at www.purposedrivenconsultant.com. Today, how would you say it's been about over a decade? How would you say that Innovation Nights has kind of evolved over that time? I know you mentioned in the beginning, it was kind of the a lot of people coming up for jobs. Do you still see that trend now or has it kind of shifted a little? It's interesting. Innovation Nights has grown over the last year and I think or the last 10 years. And we've had an incredible impact on the community overall. There have been 1,200 new products launched that have gotten more than $3 billion in collective funding. But they have also, those companies have grown and they've hired people and they've bought consultant time. They've used service providers. So there's been an incredible impact on the overall community from that. But at the same time, it's also evolved. About five years ago, I had to hire somebody to run it. And just a helpful hint here, If you have to hire somebody to run your hobby, it's not a hobby anymore. So I had to hire an actual like events person, somebody who could run it and give it the attention and have that attention to detail that I just didn't have. So I brought in Kristen Navini, who is amazing. And she really runs innovation nights on a day-to-day basis. It's gotten more formalized. In the beginning, it was very much a pop-up, thrown-together event, very much uh, rough around the edges. It's gotten a lot smoother. It's like we have signs and stuff like that. And when I first started, it was, here's a crazy website and here's a bunch of cases of bottled water. Have at it, people. Now it's hosted by large companies in the community. They use it as a way to draw in potential new hires. 
and to connect with the startup community and see what's out there. I always point to the fact that some of those big companies that host our events, not only do they get new hires, but some of them have actually acquired the companies or become customers of the companies that we bring in. So there's a lot of connections that are made in that night. I also point to the fact that now Innovation Nights isn't just a once a month event. It's an entire month long marketing process that we do for free for startups in the local community. So there's a weekly newsletter that is uh, supporting other events and it's a big calendar that goes out every week. There's a social media marketing amplification program that drives about 3 million views a month. So there's a lot that actually goes into and around it. I think that's partially invisible to people that just see it as a cool monthly event. That is so cool. And, and go-getters, we'll make sure we'll add all the links to Innovation Night and some of the other initiatives that Bobby is driving. Tell us a little bit about some of the products. Maybe give us some examples of some products that people may not realize may have kind of came from or got their start at Innovation Nights. Yeah, it's funny. Over the years, one of the most common questions I get is, what's your favorite product? And I'm like, that's like saying, which is my favorite kid? You really (laughs) can't do that to me. If I mentioned one product, there's 1,199 other people going, why didn't you mention mine? But over the years, we've seen an incredible range of products. I think a lot of technology showcase events exist and they focus on on just the robots or just the artificial intelligence or just the apps or just the websites or the mobile or whatever. And the unique thing about Innovation Nights is we run the gamut. It's all new products being launched. So it's everything from those robots and artificial intelligence applications to new foods, maybe a new sauce, apparel. Our next event is going to be held at the site of the former Polartech fleece company, the manufacturing site, and it's all focused on textiles and apparel. So the range is really amazing, and I love having that broad range. Sometimes we have theme events, and when you have a theme event, you're getting really one community. But when we have a wild mix of products in one night, where there's a digital product sitting next to a physical product, I find it much more interesting because number one, the audience is mixed, but also you're getting those people who create those products talking to each other. And somebody who is launching a digital product may not truly comprehend or emotionally be ready to accept a product that requires buying materials, having a warehouse and managing a warehouse and managing inventory and shipping costs. They may not truly understand what goes into a physical product, where meanwhile, somebody who's launching a physical product may not truly comprehend all of these subtleties that are going into the creation of a digital product and having those people sit next to each other and talk really just makes them both better business people and more innovative because they're thinking outside their own little sphere. 
I love that. And I'm actually excited. I'm looking forward to attending (laughs) uh, future innovation. As you described it, I kind of had the visual in my mind of what awesome events it could be. Is it just in Massachusetts? Do you do it in other states or have any... So we have done them in other places. We've had New Hampshire Innovation Nights. We've had Connecticut Innovation Nights. We've had Western Mass, i.e. Pioneer Valley Innovation Nights. I've been contacted by tons of people outside of Massachusetts who are interested in hosting their own Innovation Nights. And we are fully ready to support Innovation Nights happening in other communities. But I can't parachute into another community and support innovation nights the way I can here. I'm just not credible as a community supporter if I go into Colorado or Chicago or down south or some other place. So you have to find somebody who is credible and passionate about supporting the local community to run an innovation nights in another community. Okay. That's super helpful. So let's fast forward. Innovation Women. Why did you start Innovation Women? I started Innovation Women primarily because I was annoyed. And when I get pissed off, I tend to make something happen. There were a couple of, of particular things that happened at the time. Number one, I got asked to speak on a panel about HTML5. And people are like, oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah, I'm in marketing. I know how to spell it. I'm not the person you want on a panel talking about that topic. I mean, I don't know enough about it. I'm ridiculous to invite for that. But the invitation came from a group that realized they had an all-male panel or a panel, and they knew that they were going to get some questions from the audience with, where are the women? So they were looking around and obviously I was the only woman they knew. I'm kidding about that, but you know, it was crazy to ask me. So I did some introductions and I found an expert on HTML5. I also went to an event that was held for female CEOs that was held in a Masonic temple. Now, if you can think about this, women not usually welcome there. They had to actually like put a, a sign on one of the men's bathrooms that said women. They had a big velvet covering up the row of urinals might offend our sensibilities or something. But I started to see like kind of these touch points and this evidence that that conferences and events really need to have more women on stage. And I also, as a woman myself, realized that if I wasn't being asked to speak at conferences and events, I wasn't getting in front of potential customers. I wasn't getting in front of potential investors. I wasn't getting in front of potential partners. And I wasn't being seen as a thought leader until I was on stage and I was the one that the audience was listening to. You never get listened to if you're just sitting in the audience and not saying anything. So as a PR person, I know the power of public speaking. I know that when you're speaking at a conference and event, you are getting that influence and that opportunity that you need to grow your business. So, so many of the women that I talked to really needed those opportunities as well. And I thought, how can I fix this? So I'm looking around for processes. And at the time I had the Mass Innovation Nights website and I'm like, right now it showcases products. What if it showcased women 
and their expertise and event managers could go and utilize it to connect with whoever they needed. In the end, I ended up doing a crowdfunding campaign. I raised about $20,000 and got a developer and created a special custom-made platform that enabled event managers to easily find the speakers they needed and invite them directly. But it was just born of frustration. What would you say is advice you would give your younger self as a professional speaker? I actually don't think of myself as a professional speaker. I do a lot of it, but I do a lot of it based on the passion I have and the expertise I have. I'm really an introvert. I actually personally think that more introverts need to do public speaking because we're really good at it when we get prepared. And introverts, the skill sets are usually being prepared. And I think extroverts tend to wing it too much. It's just more in their makeup. And while they may be one out there, introverts are much better at preparing things in advance. So I think that I'd probably get out of my own head and stop focusing quite so much on encouraging other people to speak as my younger self and focus more on how I could hone my own skills. It really wasn't until I started Innovation Nights that I did much public speaking myself. And over 10 years of practice, I got a heck of a lot better than I started out. So practice, practice, practice. If you want to do public speaking, just get out and do it. Now available on Amazon. Management consultant and author Christy Lindor shares career secrets based on 15 years of experience working at top firms in a new book called The Misi Muse. A hundred plus selected practices, unwritten rules and habits of great consultants. The Misi Muse provides insights, stories and strategies on the unwritten rules of the consulting profession. Christie conducted research and connected with 50-plus industry titans across 27 professional service organizations on what makes a great consultant. For book reviews, tour dates and more info, go to www.mecmuse.us. What are some techniques that you, as being an introvert, outside of preparation that you've also had to do to really help elevate your speaking skills? Practice has been the big thing, watching other people. I call it going to school. I go to school on other speakers and the prevalence of things like TED and TEDx have made it super easy to go to school on some of the best speakers everywhere. But I also think that when I watch some of those other speakers, I realize that the super hyper-polished, very formal speaking is never going to be my forte. I'm more believable. I'm more likable. The more real and authentic I am. So trying to change my speaking style or get into some kind of super professional speaker mode just doesn't work for me. It's like, I'm kind of funny, goofy, and very authentic and not hyper-polished at all. But it also means that when I'm on stage, people look and go, oh my gosh, she still says um, or she's got filler words. Hey, if she's on stage, I can do it too. So I'm looking at my foibles and my faults as a speaker as inspiration to others. Just getting out of my own head about it. (laughs) I love that. What's next for Innovation Women? 
Well, what's next is actually kind of like what happened last week. So we just rolled out new features and functionality on the site. Uh, call it Innovation Women 2.0, where Innovation Women used to be a one-way street. It was event managers would come in, they would search the profiles based on topics and location and industry, and they would invite a speaker. And the speakers were actually much more passive. They created a great profile and they waited for an event manager to invite them. We, about, I think it was about two years ago, started a weekly newsletter specifically for our speakers giving them about a hundred different opportunities every week that they could apply for. So giving them a way to be active and engaged with engaging themselves as speakers. But now the, with the new site and the new functionality, our speakers can actually apply for speaking opportunities on the website and track oh, those nice. opportunities. So it's literally just rolled out. So good it. timing, good question. Yeah, no, that's great. So go-getters out there, my go-getter women that are looking to really build up your speaking career, I recommend Innovation Women. I've been a part of it. And honestly, Bobby, I look forward to those emails every Friday. I look for them <laughs> and I've applied to, to things and some things I get and some things I don't, but actually it's been a really great kind of add-on to my career. And I know you've gotten some invitations too, right? You got yeah, um, yeah, that one at Halt. That was yeah. great. Yeah. Awesome um, job too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like I said, for me, it's definitely been a great tool to have. And it's nice to hear about the new features. I'm super excited about that. And you don't have to be in Massachusetts to be part of innovation. Nope. Is it anywhere in the world, Bobby? You can be. It is anywhere in the world. We've actually done stuff overseas and the opportunities that we find are all over the place. Okay, cool. Cool. That's great. That's great. And by the way, we started Innovation Women specifically for technical and entrepreneurial women but it's since broadened out and expanded tremendously. Kind of the first real estate agent who showed up, I'm like, no, 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 this isn't for you. And then she got a speaking engagement. And I was like, oh. And then there was a yoga teacher and she got one. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just shut up and let everybody in. <laughs> It's great to see it evolve. And I think when I first joined, I don't remember that being, because I joined several years ago. And I recently read, it's like, what, over four or 5,000 women now? So we've got about 6,000 oh, wow. people on the platform. But that's both event managers and speakers. Because we want the event managers in there. Obviously, they're super important. Got to get them in there so they're doing invitations, posting their calls for speakers. That's great. I'm part of this, but I definitely wish you much, much success. To see this continue to grow, I think it'll be exciting to see where it goes in the next year or so. Yep. And you too on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And podcasters can use Innovation Women to find guests. Oh, yeah. I guess, you know what? I didn't connect that dot. So <laughs> thank you for that. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes as well for people to link into. So I mentioned to you that this is the season opening episode. And I've actually, I've done, and I think you may know, Bobby, I, I had Misi Muse Unplugged was a different podcast before. I've rebranded it to be more general, not just consultants, but it's any go-getter, kind of like what you're doing with Innovation Women, <laughs> you know, anyone that's really interested on their journey to greatness. And with that change, I've also decided to go into seasons. And so 
is this season, I've dedicated it to the science of success. So Bobby, my question to you around that is, what is your definition of success, both personally and professionally? It's funny, when I started my own companies, my definition of success was paying the mortgage and feeding the kids. It's like very low level of success. <laughs> Today, there are a group of people who beyond my own family depend on Carlton PR Marketing, Innovation Nights, and Innovation Women to feed their own families and pay their own mortgages. But at the same time today, I think my definition of success also expands out into the community. So being able to make a living and do something that supports the greater good in the community is how I'm defining my success and the success of my companies. And I think what's great about that answer, it sounds like your definition of success has evolved and you've been comfortable with that evolution of, of changing the definition for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's great. So go-getters out there, you may have one definition of success and, and be comfortable knowing that it can change. I think sometimes we may have a definition of success based on our upbringing or our peer group. And we kind of get stuck in this like mode and this belief system around what things should be. And then when they don't show up like that in our lives, it can be a little discouraging. So I like how you've kind of been able to evolve and be comfortable with that evolution. Because I think that's an important grounding is having a definition that you truly believe in, not just what people tell you success should be. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's important for people to be okay with changing what they want and their goals and how they perceive success. Yeah, completely agree. What's the one thing about you, like a fun fact that people can't Google? That Bobby Carlton isn't my real name. <laughs> That's right, because it's He's like, what? Roberta. <laughs> Roberta, right? Yep, Carlton's yeah. not real either. Oh, really? <laughs> so you have okay. a, yeah, a stage well. name. <laughs> <laughs> we do. There's a stage name. Oh, wow. That's a fun fact. So I didn't know you had like a celebrity name. That's good to know. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Bobby. I wish you continued success. And like I said, I admire you. I was already admiring you before and just hearing your story. I admire you even greatly. And I look forward to seeing you more in the future. Thank How can you so much for the invitation. It's been great to talk with you. Yeah. How can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? On Twitter, I'm Bobby C, B-O-B-B-I-E-C. And if people are interested in Innovation Women, it's innovationwomen.com, innovationnights.com, or carltonprmarketing.com. Thank you so much, Bobby, for coming on the Macy Muse Unplugged today. We really enjoyed having you. Have a good rest of your day. That concludes today's show. I want to thank my guests for being with us today and thank you, my go-getters, for tuning in. There are hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there and I'm so glad that you've chosen the Misi Muse Unplugged to connect with. So make sure you check out today's show notes. You can go to www.misimuse.com for more information. Please feel free to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends and rate it. Until next time, here's to your journey to greatness. Tune in for new episodes every Monday to kick off your week of greatness. Visit us online at misimuse.com for more information. Don't forget to follow Misi Muse on all socials to stay tuned in for upcoming episodes and news from Christy Lindor.